Hi, this is Judy with another podcast, and I'm here with my magical marketing guy, Anthony, and we're going to be talking today about attachment. Judy decided to uh, do another podcast this week. She's a busy gal, and she said, I don't know if I have time to write, but I've always got a lot of ideas to share, so uh, let's see if we can put out another podcast. So here we are. You'd said you want to talk about attachment, and uh, when you asked me initially if I knew what attachment was, um, I wasn't quite sure if I did or not. I kind of scratched my head about the whole idea. So instead of me stumbling and bumbling an answer, how about you actually address that directly? What is attachment? Attachment is, is basically the bond that exists between a parent and child that is sustainable over time and space and is enduring and is the quality of the relationship they have that helps the child to feel safe, secure, and um, content in the world, basically. And attachment is a... I guess it's a bit of an issue or a bit of a hot button issue for, for parents. It's, it's become a hot button issue, unfortunately. Um, it's not, it's not a new thing. Like the discussion around attachment has been going on for a very, very long time. Just didn't have that word at attached to it, <laughs> so to speak. Before you get into that, sure. what was it before? If it wasn't attachment, what, what did people call it? They called it like the development of trust. There was a wonderful book called Oneness and Separateness where it talked about, um, that was quite influential on people. We talked about the connection that happens between, at that point, mothers and babies, um, and that in a sense that they're, they're, they are one initially, and then as the child becomes more secure, they separate and become they become an individual. And then there was, uh, yeah, the trust thing, Eric Erickson, who was a wonderful, wonderful psycho psychoanalyst and therapist, did tons of writing, identified all these stages that we go through in life, and the first one, he said, was development of trust or mistrust, one or the other, and that that first stage of development, that whether you develop trust at that point or not, will influence your sense of safety in the world for the rest of your life, basically. And that's your foundation of who you are. And then all this research came out in the, basically in the 60s and 70s, a lot with children in orphanages who, even when they were adopted, had a really hard time coping with life. And a lot of them in, in some of the orphanage were, were dying and um, they were trying to figure out why was this happening because they were fed. So they were being uh, taken care of in the way that they thought they should have been. But, yes. But there was something missing. There was something very profoundly missing. And, um, you know, we, we haven't had that humane child rearing <laughs> in human history. It's not been that great. And we have a, a new awareness of it now. So, you know, this research was doable um, at you know in the in the middle of the last century, because people's awareness shifted, and we began to to really care about what happened to children. I mean, there was a lot of terrible child rearing, rearing advice given throughout history, and for some reason, and now when we look at it, we say, well, of course they need more than just food. Mm -hmm. um, but they, this um, psychologist named Bowlby was the one who really noticed this. Like, why aren't these kids thriving? They're clean, they're fed, you know, they have nice, clean little cribs that they sit in all day or they're put on the floor or whatever. But why aren't they thriving? Why are they dying? Why do they have a hard time functioning even after they're adopted? And he said, there's something else going on here. And so that was, I guess, the, um, just inferring from what you said, sort of, uh, awareness of uh, attachment being uh, a thing. And is that how it's actually been identified and studied today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, he, he, he put together what's called attachment theory. Okay. Um, and the fact that attachment happens most of the times to somebody or something, but it's the quality of the attachment that's really critical. So probably those babies and children were very happy when someone came around to feed them 
and that probably was their concept of what it means to have it means to have a relationship. So that was their concept of attachment, and that was the quality of their attachment. It was just a really, really unhealthy, very sad attachment because attachment is supposed to be the basis of a child's sense of safety and security. Hmm. So these poor little kids, you know, had none of it. Wow. Is that what makes attachment the sort of hot button uh, topic that it is today? That uh, it was, I guess, if you can say it, done poorly in the past and people just don't get it today? Or what is it that's so complicated about it? I think it's that there's there's so much research coming out now saying how really critical it is and that it really is the basis in many ways of everything else that happens in our lives. Like it is the first relationship <clears throat> and it sets the groundwork for every other relationship. And, you know, now they're beginning to see the relationship between good, secure attachment and the capacity to develop, to develop empathy and the capacity to handle stress and the capacity to learn and to brain development. I mean, it's just more and more research is coming out saying that the, the, the quality of that attachment is so significant and it has big implications for the world. Like you, when people do research with people who are, um, you know, violent offenders, if you want to call them that. They, you go back into their childhoods, they did not have anybody to really who really attached them in a really secure and healthy way. So it's that basic then. I mean, if it's you're really basic. a juvenile delinquent, <clears throat> you didn't get cared for when you were a kid in that kind of attachment parenting kind of way. Yeah. It doesn't mean you weren't loved. You know, I mean, the, the, the parent's capacity to provide that kind of attachment is affected by their own attachment capacity, you know, how, how well they attach. Like, it's really something that... You know, it could be passed on from generation to generation, but you know now there's an awareness of it. And I guess what people are trying to get get out to people is that you, as a parent, have the opportunity now, because of what we know, to provide that kind of secure attachment with your baby and child that will really put them in good stead. The interesting thing too is that we have a, a very strong—I um, don't even know what you call it—a a, approach to parenting in this culture that is still very much about distancing and about separation and not about attachment. Well, the the the, uh, the conversations we've had in the past about uh, co-sleeping or mm -hmm. um, any, any kind of uh, intimate contact that a mom has with um, baby uh, during breastfeeding and that mm -hmm. sort of thing, um, and how when that's not there, um, things go sideways or wrong or uh, they just manifest in ways that aren't necessarily um, loving or healthful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is, is there some sort of a recipe for attachment that actually says this is the way you're supposed to do it? No. Mm. There's a base, there are basic principles. Okay. And I think the, the, the core one is loving and responsive parenting, being responsive to any time your, your baby or child is in distress. So, uh, for example? For example, when your baby is crying, you pick your baby up. You comfort your baby. Um, you comfort your toddler. You comfort your child. You know, it's, it's that, that they know that you are a safe place to go when they are in distress because they don't have the skills to handle their own distress. They learn the skills by you responding to their distress. They begin to understand how to calm themselves eventually. But the big thing is that you are there and you are responding. And, and it's about really reading your, your, I mean, children are very nonverbal. Um, for a long time, they're nonverbal. Even once they become verbal, they're very nonverbal. We all are. Yeah, I know a few adults who are still nonverbal. Exactly. You know, but the thing is to really <laughs> being able to tune in to your, to your baby's discomfort or child's discomfort or distress and giving them the support they need 
to get to a place of calm again. So on that idea of uh, attending to a child that's in stress or distress, um, not a lot of parents agree with that, I guess. is that, that That's where the hot button comes in. That's where the hot button comes in because, you know, we, we have a concept of spoiling, you know, which is essentially impossible to do with a baby or a young child. If you pick up your child too many times, you'll spoil them. Yeah. Yeah, or if you carry them too much, or if they have too much proximity to you, or if you have them close to you at night, you know, whether you're co-sleeping or whether you have them in your room or whatever, you know, you're going to be spoiling them, and they need to learn how to be independent. And, you know, there was a, a grandma in in the store yesterday, you know, telling me that her, you know, her her, her daughter, Dornal, is going crazy because her 18-month-old isn't sleeping through the night. And she said, I know they created a monster because they co-slept. Wow. Yeah, and it was it. Okay, there it is in a nutshell. So I, I guess different uh, different generations have different concepts of what it actually means to be uh, attached. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of generations don't think about it. I mean, it, it's not, you know, it's talked about a lot, but it's not, it, it isn't really part of our fundamental way of child rearing in Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still very big on, on independence. And I was talking to a mom yesterday who said that her friend had emailed her and said, my four-month-old baby... No, her, sorry, her eight-week-old baby is waking a lot at night, at night, and I think she's becoming too dependent on me. Wow. Well, she is. <laughs> she has no choice but to be dependent on you. But the thing is that that's the kind of thinking that's out there, and there's a lot of you know talk on the internet about this kind of stuff. And um, that a child that young should be able to take care of itself uh, is kind, yeah, that's kind of crazy. There was a, there was a movie made back, I think it was in the thirties actually that when I was teaching by Margaret Mead and probably a lot of people don't know who Margaret Mead was. She was one of the first really groundbreaking women anthropologists who went into a lot of cultures to really look at things like child rearing and family life, you know, which a lot of the male ones just never thought about, right? They didn't even look at those things. She was really interested. And she made a movie about four different cultures where she went and lived with families. And, and I can't remember all, what all the cultures were, but the, there were three of the four practiced very responsive child rearing. And then there was a fourth one that isolated their babies and had as a way that their strongest thing was it building independence and separateness because that's what they thought they needed to be able to function in the world. Even from a very young age? At birth, basically. Oh, from birth? From wow. birth, yeah. So that was the U.S. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and when the other three cultures were really committed to interdependence and for having close family structures and people really bonded to each other in families. And that movie was really shocking because it it, it kind of put our fundamental child-rearing practices in such stark relief um, to other cultures. And it made it so clear that, wow, we are, we are really doing something that's not very healthy for people, which is, you know, what she was trying to say is like, there's something really wrong with this picture like maybe we're building independent people, but not not by choice. They're independent because we're not responding to them, and we're making them feel very separate and very apart. And you know, surprise, surprise, we have a fairly violent society, and we have a lot of depression, and we have a lot of difficulty in relationships. And, and this was a long time ago where she she made these observations. Do you remember the name of the film? Four Families, I think it's called. Margaret, Margaret Mead. Yeah. yeah, that'd be something to Google. Margaret Mead, Four Family Film. Yeah. So. You had mentioned that there are different principles. Yeah. So the first one was, again... Um, I, 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 there's eight. I can read oh, okay. you the eight of... Um, sure. You know, but they all they all have many nuances to them. And, okay. And, and so the first is, is getting prepared for pregnancy, childbirth, and parenting. 
And it's sort of trying to clarify your own perspective on what the kind of parent you want to be and doing some serious thinking about it. And if you choose to be a highly responsive parent, to just do some learning about it, try to try to choose a method of giving birth that is, you know, as loving as possible, that <clears throat> allows for early connection and contact to facilitate, quote, bonding, mm-hmm. which is a lot of controversy about, you know, and, and just to say, if that doesn't happen, it is not the end of attachment parenting. Okay. <laughs> you can have a really crappy birth and have a beautiful connection with your baby. Right. But if you can have a really loving, benign, calm, that's great. It's a really nice way to start. For both of you. For both of you. Yeah, for all of you. You know, yeah. it's really nice. And then to feed with love and respect. And that's basically being feeding the baby according to the baby's cues and not to by some schedule. Preferably breastfeeding, just because it makes it really easy to connect when you're breastfeeding um, in a way that's more challenging when you're bottle feeding. But you can, you know, bottle breastfeed, as they say, you know, that you hold your baby all the time. You feed them in your arms. You're giving them, you're looking in their eyes. You're feeding them as though you were breastfeeding, that you, you're trying to create that kind of that kind of closeness mm-hmm. um, with your baby. And to, you know, let them nurse or bottle feed for, you know, as long as it works for them. Not that you can't support them in weaning, but don't like say, oh, you know, they're six months old, no more bottle for you, that's it, you know, or no more breast for you, or, you know, to, to be respectful of that that need, you know, in your baby. And the third one, which to me is the biggest one, is respond with sensitivity. And, you know, and that's a hard one for a lot of parents. I mean, it's something that I see a lot, you know, in the store. Give me an example. He said, when your baby is crying, pick them up. Okay. (laughs) You know, comfort them. Right. Comfort them. You know, I mean, there are some babies who have a really hard time falling asleep and they, they cry a little bit before they fall asleep and they do best just lying down, crying for a couple of minutes and boom, they're out. You know, and that's true. But um, it, there's still a lot of people saying, well, they have no reason to cry. I fed them. They're changed. I just did this. I just did that. Maybe they just are lonely and scared and frightened, and they don't cry for no reason. Right. <laughs> right? Nobody cries for no reason. You just If you're standing at the kitchen counter and you suddenly start crying, you don't go, oh, I wonder what that's about. I mean, if you started crying, it's because you thought of something that was distressing for you or something like that. Like something triggers crying in everybody. The, the the way I I uh, sort of picture that in my mind's eye is, um, I mean, dogs bark because they have something to say. Right. And it's because they don't speak English. Right. <laughs> Nor do babies. <laughs> and it's the same thing with babies, right? Right. Yeah. A baby's going to cry because that's a, a cue. Yeah. Um, I mean, how, how, how can anyone not um, have their heartstrings pulled on by a crying baby? I think that's by design. It's by design. We're, we're made to respond to. There's a couple of like attachment behaviors that they talk about that, mm. that are really powerful for people, and one of the first one is the the uh, the, lo- the latch the locked on gaze, which which can happen if if you happen to have a really good birth and your baby's alert and they open up those teeny little eyes and they look at you and like oh my god, like it is so powerful mm-hmm. that little gaze and that is a built in attachment behavior. Um, it's just, it's a way that babies were made to really connect and, and, and bond with us. Well, it's almost as if as they're staring, your little brain is actually sorting this picture in the back of their mind is like, that's the one that I need to pay attention that's to. That's the one I need to pay attention to. Yeah. It right. is, you know, and then they, and that happens over and over and over again. And, and you know, most new parents will spend hours with their baby on their lap staring at them. 
you know, and when they open their eyes, it's like, oh, God, I can't stop looking at this baby, you know, and that's one of the wonderful ways they have, very positive ways they have to attach with us. And their other really powerful way is crying. Like that is, it brings, it brings you to them and that, that builds that relationship. And they have no other way really mm-hmm. to call for help or call for their need for you. And it's so intense. And it's like, it, you know, we, we can, we can rephrase that. Oh, it's a pain in the butt. You know, I have to go to this baby all the time. And some people feel like that and they're told to feel like that. And they're told that their babies are just manipulating them or trying to control them. Um, and so it makes you turn off to that. It just, you know, you turn off. I'm not going to respond to that. I'm not going to pick that baby up. It's not time or they've just done this or I've just done this with them. They can't want me anymore. That actually seems like it would be more work to, to resist. I think it's very hard emotional work. And I think it's a very painful place to be. Um, mm. if, if you see your baby that way, or if you have to turn that off in yourself, um, and, and it's usually, it's been outside information that someone has told you, do not pick up your baby all the time. You're going to spoil them. You're going to create a monster, all this stuff that, that mothers are told all the time. Um, and the thing that's so interesting, and this was research that came out right after the attachment research, you know, was, was put out there. And, and, and that's when I first got involved in early childhood. So I was like learning all this stuff, right. When it was all coming out was they started doing long, what they call longitudinal studies, like long-term studies, you know, on babies and parenting. And what they found actually was that babies who were responded to more when they cried, cried less Mm -hmm. as they got into toddlerhood. It was completely contradictory to what people were thinking. Right. And they went, wow, this is interesting. And why is that? That's because they responded to, they felt secure. They got that secure emotional base in their lives. Like, this is a safe haven for me. And I can handle things because someone's going to help me handle things. And when they got older, they started to find their own capacity to deal with things, to deal with frustration and that sort of thing. And it was completely contrary, you know. And babies who were carried more cried less. So even though it seems like it's it's harder to parent as an attachment parent, it's actually easier to parent. In the long run, yeah. In the long run, it's easier. And that the kids who are more securely attached behave better. They are easier to deal with. And, you know, when you're really tuned in to your baby. And that's what this allows you to do. It allows you to get really tuned into your child. So you'll also see, and they're about eight months old and they're sitting on the floor and they can't reach something and they start to, they start to cry. It's a very different cry than when they're desperate. And you can look at them and say, it's okay, sweetie, I'll be there in a minute. I got to stir the soup. You can run over and stir the soup and they may just like settle down just fine because it's not a cry of desperation. So when you're, when you're tuned into them, you can tell the difference between I'm miserable, I'm hurting, I'm scared, I'm frightened, I need you to, I'm kind of frustrated right now, you know, I want that toy and I can't reach it, you know, which doesn't mean you don't help them get it. But if, if you don't, if you're not there in a second, it's okay, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's not, <laughs> it doesn't feel like life and death to them. Well, um, there's there's a whole nuance, I guess, to the way an infant will communicate mm-hmm. uh, with its cries that mm-hmm. uh, most people just sort of blanket as being, uh, they're just complaining, mm-hmm. as opposed to, um, wow, these little thumbs really don't work and I can't pick that thing up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they can't speak English. They can't speak English, they just, no. They just speak, wah. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a different kind of cry, you know, and, and, and again, when you, when you're sensitive to it and you're watching them, you know, you can see that it's, there's this little momentary frustration, which makes them unhappy and you can certainly help them with it, you know, but it's really different than that. I'm sitting here. I'm scared. I need you right right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's sure. different. Uh, what's, uh, that was number three. I, oh, think that was number three. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we'll go through all big, eight. Big, big number three. Um, big number three and number four is provide a nurturing touch. And 
Um, and that, that means th- really throughout childhood, you know, the nurturing touch to a teenager may be like a, a pat on the shoulder for some, because sometimes they just want to pull away from you, but just patting them on the shoulder. But kids need physical affection really badly throughout childhood um, in a really nurturing, loving way. And, and to just keep that going and to not be ashamed of it, mm-hmm. you know, and not be afraid of it. And it's, you know, it just... Kids need physical touch. They just need to be hugged. They need to be loved. They need their both their backs rubbed and that sort of thing. So to keep to keep that going. Um, number five is ensuring safe sleep. And you know now even the you know Canadian American Pediatric Association are suggesting that you keep your baby at least in your room with you. And if you you know according to from the attachment parenting perspective, if you choose to co-sleep, just make sure you're doing it really safely. And that co-sleeping is a lovely way for attachment. And if it doesn't work for you, just have your baby right nearby so you can respond really quickly. Yeah, and on the idea of sleep and co-sleeping and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. certainly on the on the blog, uh, you've written enough about sleep. Right. Well, sorry. You've written uh, a number of things about sleep. I don't know if it's enough, but there are certainly some ideas there for people to, yes. to, yes. to, yes. to look into and get some more around that. Yeah. Um, use consistent and loving care. That's pretty self-explanatory you know like uh if you're upset with something your child did you know so maybe you need to turn around and breathe you know and and just to when your interactions with your children are as consistent as possible you can't always be consistent it's impossible and you can't always be loving because sometimes you're tired and exhausted and pissed off and all that stuff but to to keep it as a baseline that you want your interactions with your child to be as consistent as loving as you possibly can make them so that they have a framework you know that they they know you're you're a safe person mm. in their life yeah you're the adult you're the adult you know and that's that's a whole other blog you know <laughs> a whole other podcast because you know, our kids trigger all kinds of feelings in us, which a lot of it goes back to the way we were raised in our own childhood. And if if we weren't given a lot of love and attention and care and consistent responding to, it's it's a struggle. And certainly that's more the direction I think the uh, the podcasts and uh, blog posts that you're writing these days are focusing more on um, how mom or the parent uh, needs to manage themselves or take care of themselves yeah. or understand themselves so that they yes. can be a better parent. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then uh, practice positive discipline. And that, again, is a whole other many, many, many podcasts or <laughs> vlogs or whatever. You know, and positive discipline is, is means that when that you see um, when you when there's, your child is doing something that you don't approve of or you don't think is good, that you're, you see yourself as a teacher and not as a taskmaster and a punisher. And that you see every opportunity as a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that you also, it's really important that you give your children guidelines on how to live. And, you know, one of the things that people get confused about attachment parenting, they think it's the equivalent of permissive parenting. Permissive parenting is not loving. You're just letting the kid just flounder in the world with no sense of how to behave. And children who are raised, you know, with, with nobody telling them that this is okay, this is not okay. They really don't know what to do, and they just their behavior just tends to get wilder and wilder and wilder and out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is not what attachment parenting is about. It's uh, you know it's about giving really clear guidelines to your child um, that keep them safe, um, that keep other people safe, and that give them a framework on how to be in the world and how to relate to people. Well, I would think that that would instill a, a sense of. Um Security, knowing that there's some kind of uh, boundaries around that. Absolutely. 
around uh, behavior, how to be, how yeah. to do, um, especially for uh, a, a toddler who has no, um, what's the right words to say it? Uh, you know, they're, they're in constant explorer mode. Constant explorer mode, right. You know, uh, walking around and pulling on things and yeah. climbing on things and doing all this sort of stuff. Right. They need to know that sometimes uh, things aren't safe. A friend of mine on Facebook the other day posted mm-hmm. pictures of her, uh, her toddler who burnt herself, oh. uh, her hands on a um, on a glass fireplace. Oh wow! And I'm not sure how the whole thing happened. I didn't read too far into it, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that somewhere around um, giving some sense of boundaries of is for the, the child's safety, for your welfare as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's for their physical safety as well as their emotional safety, hmm. also for their social safety. You know, like really knowing how to interact, learning how to interact. Like kids need to be, they need to be taught that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they intuitively want to be with other people and other kids, but they, they need to learn how to do that. Right. Well, that, that reminds me of the, uh, the blog post uh, you wrote about sibling rivalry mm-hmm. or uh, what to do when your kid hits another kid. Right, right. The, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you might just want to press pause and go look through the blog <laughs> <laughs> and catch up to date. Um, was that the last item on the list? That was number seven. You that said there was, seven. was there eight of them? There were eight, and the last one is strive for personal and family balance. So one, one of the, which is important because a lot of times people think that attachment parenting is like slavery, and it's not. Um, part of it is being an attached parent is taking good care of yourself and everybody else in the family. Um, needs to, their needs need to be met and respected, and that you know see the, the yeah basically giving everybody an important role in the family and making sure everyone's needs are met. Is there one sort of approach? to attachment parenting that sort of is like a guiding principle in terms of um, how a parent should conduct themselves or how they should be around their child? I think if in, in, in every moment when you're ha- interacting with your with your baby or child, just, just ask yourself the question, is this bringing me closer to my child or pushing him or her further away? And I think just keeping that uppermost in your mind is a pretty good guideline. Yeah, Because wow. you can't keep these eight principles in your head all the time, right? <laughs> you know, it's just like just a moment-by-moment basis. Um, you have, you know, you have a choice at every moment. And sometimes you just can't be. And I, and sometimes you just, you just need to take a time out for yourself, you know, and uh, kids who who were raised by attachment, you know, attachment style parenting still can act obnoxious and terrible (laughs) and really push your buttons, you know, Uh, they they don't become angels. They still have to be kids, you know, they're still two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds and they're irrational and do silly things and make you angry and all that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, how do you choose to respond? Right. In a way that builds connection or builds separation. It's good reflection for uh, the individual um, mm-hmm. to sort of say to themselves, you know, how am I being in this moment? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, how can I be a better person? And mm-hmm. knowing if you don't get it right every time, it's okay. Oh, it's totally fine. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was anything but a perfect parent. I mean, you know. I certainly lost it sometimes and I, you know, certainly did the wrong thing, quote the wrong thing. And that's fine. You know, kids don't need you to be perfect and your being perfect is not a good role model for them because none of us are perfect and we don't want to tell them that they have to be perfect. We're human. Hmm. You know, I think the thing is that when you do lose it and, and you act really inappropriately that you just forthrightly apologize and just say, you know, I was really upset and I'm sorry that I said what I said or I'm sorry I did what I did and... That's not the way I want to be with you. And I suppose in doing that, that's another way to become attached. It's a it's a beautiful way to become attached. It's very you're being very real, and and attachment is about being really real with each other. Um, any final thoughts on attachment parenting? 
I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's so, it's so important. It's like the most important thing you can do as a parent, you know, and to just resist all that stuff out there on the internet or what you're hearing from relatives to push your kids away. You know, it's just, um, you know, a lot of people refer to Gordon Neufeld, who's, you know, and actually a, a British Columbia psychologist who wrote a book called, um, Hold On to Your Kids. He's, you know, and some people like the book, some people don't. It's hard reading, but his basic premise is, you know, the closer and more connected you are, the more that connection will last you throughout their lifetime. And it's really good when they become teenagers that they know that you're there as the base. And even when they go through their rebellion and they go through their stupid phase, that you are there all the time for them, you know, and, and that you do want to hold on to your kids. So they have that, that sense of safety. Sounds like attachment parenting uh, in the way that you describe it builds a really solid foundation for the, the, the lifetime of uh, your child uh, with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just, you know, I want to say that, you know, life is not, life itself is not perfect and families go through all kinds of disruption and tragedies and all kinds of things happen in in your in one's life you know marriages break up people get injured people get sick all this kind of stuff happens so what you want your kids is to always have that base so that they can they can weather that stuff you know that that they can weather what life dishes out to all of us you know and 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 feel that they have inside of themselves the capacity to do that great advice and a great chat today okay <laughs> uh this has been a podcast with uh, judy vanfield talking uh, today about attachment parenting uh, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm her producer and marketing guy, helping her put these things out. Uh, if you've heard this anywhere else but the blog, uh, please head over to that, um, and you can get more details about attachment parenting. We're going to put those notes there. Uh, you can subscribe to Judy's blog and get more of that great information in your inbox every week. Have a good <laughs> week, everybody. <laughs>